Our scripture this morning is from Matthew chapter 1. Uh, I'll read uh, verses 18 through 25, and then at the end of it, uh, there'll be a place for us to respond by saying, thanks be to God. Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, he planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. You are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had borne a son, and he named him Jesus. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Our, um, our preacher today is a, a friend of mine, a faithful part of the Providence Church family. He and his wife, Gwen. Um, Gary Henderson, uh, he has a high-ranking position in the Global United Methodist Church, a bunch of degrees and accolades that he would not want me to tell you about, so I'm not going to tell you all about those. What I would tell you is something, I've, a, a way I've heard Gary described is that he is a barrier breaker and a bridge builder, and I believe in this season of our church, I feel like Gwen and Gary were brought to our church for such a time as this, that they're going to help us. Um, what I mean by that is for the last for about eight years, Gary led a global health initiative in conjunction with the United Nations, the NBA, these huge organizations. And he led a fundraising campaign that raised nearly $80 million to combat malaria in Africa. And in eight years with this effort, malaria nets and all kinds of things, uh, the malaria deaths in Africa were cut in half in eight years. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, Gary's been all over the world. He's been to Africa over 50 times. Um, he believes in this vision we have to see everyone fed, everyone free, everyone safe, and everyone ready. And I, f- I feel like, um, I felt like that we needed to hear his voice. And so uh, would you give a Providence Church welcome to Gary Henderson? Good morning. Afternoon, morning, good morning, Providence Church. It is good, good to be here. Uh, What a joy and a privilege to share in this sacred place for worship. Um, I don't know of a place like Providence anywhere in the world, and I want you all to know that. This is a special place, a God-breathed place, and we are really in a place of privilege to be here. Thank you for the opportunity, Pastor Jacob. Pray with me, please. God, I'm remembering the lines of the poet in this morning, in this moment, James Weldon Johnson and the image of creation, where he paints this image of you kneeling in dust and clay and toiling over it in creating humanity. And in the image, O God, you breathed breath into dust and clay. And so in this moment, God, I pray that you would breathe again into dust and clay and animate it in such a way that the words we hear, we would know in our hearts come from you. In the great name of the Savior Jesus, I pray, hallelujah, amen. 
We can only imagine what Joseph must have felt when he got the news that his fiance was pregnant. They were already by religious tradition bound to each other and there was no easy, easy way out. There was no easy answer to this problem pregnancy. A host of strong feelings must have been welding up in him. Maybe anger, betrayal, Resentment, disappointment, bitterness, fear, anxiety, and maybe even dread. Dread about tomorrow. What are people saying? What will people say when they find out that Mary is pregnant? He must have wondered if Mary was really the person that he wanted to make a life and a future with. He must have wondered if Mary could be trusted. Did this happen when I wasn't looking? Could, can I really trust Mary? Doubt must have been his constant companion. And I suspect that Joseph must have felt cornered and trapped and unable to see a way out. Have you ever felt cornered and trapped? And unable to see a way out? We know so little about Joseph. He appears in the birth narrative as recorded in Matthew and Luke and is mentioned only there and hardly anywhere else in the Bible. Despite the minimal notation regarding Joseph, Joseph is a significant character. Joseph is a significant other, so to speak. In the Bible story, and his role should not be underestimated or dismissed. You see, there's a little bit of Joseph in all of us. Joseph is a significant other in the biblical story, and his role in the weaving of the story of salvation must be understood and not dismissed. Our text gives us a glimpse of the man Depending on the translation, he's described as a just man, a good man, a righteous man. He's engaged to to marry and not yet married and finds out that Mary is pregnant and does not even have access to a DNA test to prove the parentage. All Joseph knows for sure is that this baby, this child, yet unborn, is not mine. The text doesn't tell us how he found out. As I've stirred around in the story, I'd like to know how he found out. Who told him? What was his or her motive in telling? Was it just gossip? Was it good intention, bad intention? How did he find out? But we should know this morning that by Jewish tradition, an engagement was a lasting agreement that could only be broken by divorce. And if a bride was unfaithful, then it was considered adultery, and under the law, she could even be put to death. Thank God, Joseph was a righteous man. 
a righteous man. And rather than shame Mary publicly, he decided to do a noble thing and to put her away privately. The evidence would soon be apparent anyway. But if you read between the lines and the story of Joseph coming to the place of decision around what to do with Mary, something happens. Here, I believe, is a takeaway for us. After making big decisions, we ought to sleep on them. While making big decisions, we ought to sleep on them. I have discovered in those crisis decision places in my own life, when I think I know what to do, I think I figured it out, that it, can I say behooves? I don't know where that word came from, but it works. It makes sense for me to take a nap and to sleep on it. And before I sleep, I pray and I ask God to help me with the decision. And I've discovered that if I wake up the next morning and I think about the decision that I've been making and there's a great peace that passes every understanding, I say, Gary, you're in a good place. But when I wake up, Pierce, and I'm still revisiting the decision over and over and over and over again. I am clear that, Gary, there's work still for me to do. While Joseph was trying to figure out what to do and how to do it, the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Listen to what the angel said. Do not be afraid. Take Mary home as your wife. The child is from the Holy Spirit. And after he is born, name him Jesus, which means the Lord saves. And finally, Joseph, this child will save his people from their sins. I can hear Joseph respond to the angel something like this. I'm not feeling this. (laughs) That's a lot to swallow. A lot to digest. Don't be afraid. Marry her. The Holy Spirit. The Lord saves. The child will save his people. Allow me to go retro for a moment. A few of you will connect the dot here. The rest of you will be completely lost. In the language of black and white television of a long time ago, that does not compute. One or two of you followed me. The rest will Google it later today. (laughs) But as we follow the the storyline in the text, we discover that when Joseph woke up, Joseph made a choice. He had a choice to make. And his choice was to move beyond his feelings. Somebody ought to say, ouch. To move beyond his feelings because the feeling place is a place where often we get stuck. 
We know what we should do. We know what we want to do. We know what God is saying to do, but I'm just not feeling it. I've got feelings I can't move beyond, and they're keeping me from doing the thing that God is wanting me to do, so I'm stuck. But Joseph chose. It's a choice. It's a choice. It's a choice. He chose to move beyond his feelings and do just as the angel of the Lord instructed him to do. Lest you go to sleep on me right now, let me say that this story isn't just about Joseph. It's about us. It's about me. It's about you. It's about this gathering of God's people because the story of Joseph reminds us to not be afraid. Or we could stop there and stay there and stay there and stay there and stay there. Fear is the greater mobilizer. What will happen if I take this next step? Are there any guarantees that this is the right decision? There are no guarantees. What will people say? Will she understand? They said over here I ought to do this, but I think I need to do this. Don't be afraid. In the place of fear, let me give you a word to remember. God can be trusted. In the place of fear, God can be trusted. If you ask me how I know, because God has a track record, it's a long track record. There's a history of God interventions that help me to know that God can be trusted. Pay attention to your dreams. Don't dismiss them. It's no accident that the biblical story is full of people who have these encounters in the nighttime in their dreams where God speaks to them with a clear word that they ought to listen to and they ought to obey. Don't dismiss your dreams, but don't dismiss your daytime dreams either. Because God will paint all sorts of pictures of mission and ministry and possibility and things that can happen that you think impossible. Pay attention because God is speaking in the dreams and God is speaking through the dream giver. Yes, God does. But do, here's the hard part, do as God commands. But there are other voices in my ear. They think, they say, they believe, they told me. But that sounds different. Pay attention to what God commands. Drown out the rabble, the noise, filter it out. Ask God to clarify hearing and give you courage to act on what God commands. Do what God commands and be satisfied in that. Whether no one else understands or not, God does. Most of the story of Joseph, most of all, 
The story reminds us that God has a plan for us, that God can be trusted, and we too must learn to move beyond our feelings so that God can use us. I need to say that about 30 more times. To move beyond our feelings. Because the truth is, God is not concerned about your feelings, mine either. Move beyond them so that God can use us. God's plan for us includes a host of significant others, and we are often the others. Significant others provide They protect, and they name. In the Joseph story, Joseph provides home and hearth. He protects, particularly in that flight into Egypt in that next chapter where they have to flee because Herod wants to kill this child, and he stays in Egypt until he has another dream, and the angel says, it's okay to come back home. But significant others have this amazing naming capacity. I love this naming capacity. You'll call his name Jesus. In baptism, particularly in infant baptism, in the very old liturgy of the church, there's a line of instruction for the pastor as he's getting ready, he or she is getting ready to baptize an infant when he looks at the child and he says, what name is given this child? Pastor knows the child's name. There's been some planning that's gone on. But the question is asked publicly, what name is given this child? Because the naming is important in the company of the Christian faith so that we might hear not only who this child is, but who this child is becoming. When you said, Pastor, I baptize Piper, Did you have any idea who Piper would become? How she would turn out? But in the company of these witnesses, you celebrated that naming and the gift to this community of a child that you might name and nurture and support. Significant others have a role in calling out our gifting. You see, they see possibility in us. They see purpose in us. They see things in us that we could not even imagine. I remember as a boy growing up in Mississippi going to piano lessons with Mrs. Woods, Ethel Alice Woods, that's her formal name. Me and my two sisters, I always had my lesson first because when my lesson was done, I got to sweep the porch and rake the leaves and do all those kind of things while my sisters were engaged. But she said something with regularity that I didn't like at the time, and it it, it haunted me for a long time. And she would always say to me as a fifth grader and a fourth grader and a sixth grader, she would say, boy, you're going to be a preacher one day. Preaching was the last thing on my mind. Let me just say that. And if I could say what I really wanted to say, but out of respect for Mrs. Woods, I didn't say that. I bit down on my tongue. I had enough sense to know better. She would say, you're going to be a preacher one day. 
as I look back on that story, as a significant other in my life, she was speaking future and speaking destiny, but she was not alone. There were a host of others. Significant others help us to believe in ourselves even when we do not believe in ourselves. You ever find yourself stuck sometimes? Maybe life has not turned out the way you thought it would turn out. The new job in which you thought it would be. The family isn't what you thought it would be. I'm not who I thought I would be. You ever felt stuck? Significant others, they believe in us. They encourage us. They dream for us. They tell us we can when we are clear that we can't. Significant others don't let us off the hook. They encourage us over and over and over again. They simply do not give up. Significant others help us to know that we are loved. Anybody in the room need to know that they are loved? They love us even when we feel unlovable. In places of personal failure, rather than judge us, they love us back into wholeness. When we are so low that we feel like we can't get up, significant others will come around us and help us to know that we are important and that we can go forward in faith in Christ's name. Significant others help us to navigate life. I'd like to see the hand of anyone in the room, if you're here right now, who has life figured out. Let me look for a minute. Oops, I thought I saw a hand. No, I made that up. (laughs) But significant others come along and they help us to navigate life in those places where there's a whole lot going on and it's all coming at me at the same time and I'm not sure what direction to go and I'm not even sure that I need instruction as to the next direction, but they come along and they point the way. I remember my first big airline trip. Anybody remember their first flight? By today's standard, I was pretty old. I was 18. I was a freshman going off to college. It was a Delta DC-9. I could see it just like it was yesterday. But before I got on that plane in Jackson, Mississippi to go to Fargo, North Dakota in order to get to Moorhead, Minnesota, that's a long story. (laughs) My Sunday school superintendent in the church that I'd been born and reared in my whole life, invited me to his office. He was a school principal. He said a lot of things, but this is the the life navigating thing that I remember even to this day. He said, Gary, you're getting ready to go a long way from home. It's 1,500 miles. You've never been there away. There'll be a lot of things going on, and there may be places in the journey where you feel like you can't. Essentially, he was saying to me, but yes, you can. But he said, I have discovered that in life, if you have the ability simply to stick to it, He called it stick to itiveness. I think that really is a word. You Google it later. 
But those words still I carry with me today because they help me to know that even when it seems a little difficult, if I just hold on, hold on, don't let go. God will somehow make a way. Significant others, they provide, they protect, and they name. I remember landing in Mozambique on the shores of the Indian Ocean. The capital city is Maputo. It's in the southern part of the African continent. They speak Portuguese as one of the national languages there. And when I got off the plane, I was traveling alone, and I couldn't find, I couldn't see the person that was to meet me. I didn't panic, but I'm, I'm looking like someone who's lost, obviously. And someone comes to me, and in perfect English, he says, would you like to use my telephone? I said, yes. He said, do you have the phone number? I said, yes. I dug it out of my briefcase, and he dialed the number for me, and I, I called, and there was the answer, and the person I was looking for was just a hundred yards away. We just missed each other. But in that moment, that random happening, for me, at a point of need, he became a significant other in my life. I travel a lot. It's a theme. It's just kind of the way life has unfolded. I never would have imagined it. It all seemed impossible as a young boy coming out of Mississippi. People ask me often, Gary, aren't, aren't you a little afraid when you travel all these countries and you don't know the language, you don't know the custom, it's a long way from home, the air travel is a little, ooh, you know how that goes. And maybe I'm not bright enough to know better, but I, I don't think I've ever been afraid. But let me tell you why. Because this significant otherness, it covers me as a United Methodist. As I, as I have spanned the globe as a United Methodist Christian, there have been United Methodists everywhere I've been who've met me at the airport, transported me to where I needed to be, took care of my needs, anticipated my needs. They have, this church is this huge significant other in my life, but in our lives together. Significant others also name. My friends tell me I'm a little strange, so maybe this story will just verify it. But I'm standing in the lunchroom line at Concordia College in Moorhead, Minnesota, circa 1977. Before me and y'all were born, I know. And I said to Steve, who was from Nigeria, I said, Steve, this was my language of an 18, 19-year-old guy. Don't hold it against me. I said, Steve, I want an African name. Just give me one. Without hesitation, and I didn't know Steve very well, Steve said to me, we will call you Osagi. I said, Steve, what does that mean? He said, Gary, it means God sins. Now, I'm majoring in biology and chemistry, okay? What do you mean, God sins? In that moment, 
in that place of significant otherness. Even Steve was calling out a gifting in me that I did not yet see. The story of Joseph invites us into deep feelings. He is an example of how we move beyond our feelings that can sometimes immobilize us. That's about the fourth time now I think I've said that. I'm trying to make a point. I feel the discomfort in the room. You know I'm coming for you. God, I wish I could call every name in the room right now. You insert your name. God is calling, demanding that you move beyond your feelings. Feelings will disappoint. Feelings will frustrate. Feelings will leave you behind when God has a greater, larger, bigger plan for you. Move beyond your feelings. Significant otherness will choose you. You don't even have to volunteer. Quick church survey. I want to see the hands of the grandparents in the room. I won't ask you to speak, so you can hold your hands high. Okay, that's good. I bet as grandparents, you've done things that you never thought you would do with and for your grandchildren. They have called out gifting in you that maybe you had forgotten about, didn't know you had, but you're having fun in the journey because you've released yourself to what God has called you to, what you've been chosen to do. Grandparents, there's a otherness about the significance of grandparents and godparents and Friends and neighbors and co-workers and boss. Perhaps it was a mentor and a mentee relationship. There's a reciprocity there. There's a place of blessing for all that are involved. Significant others are everywhere. And I mean you. I still remember 22 years ago, the doctor who diagnosed the malignant illness in me. I still can call his name. I don't remember the name of the surgeon who was the agent of healing. But in both cases, for me, they are significant others 22 years later. You have a story of otherness to think about and to reflect upon and to share. Think of the roles that you have stepped into that you did not plan. I never thought I would, and you fill in the blank. The random acts of kindness that are unplanned and unscripted. The things that you said that impacted 
a life and you find about it years later. My mother was a school teacher, so was my dad in Jackson. And in later years, I would go to Jackson to spend time with my mother. And her favorite place to eat was Piccadilly. I usually wanted to eat a little more than that, but mother liked Piccadilly, and we would go. And every time I went to Piccadilly, and I told this story as I eulogized my mother last February, every time I went to Piccadilly with her, it was like I was with somebody presidential. I could never finish my meal and my conversation with my mother because somebody would come up and say, Mrs. Henderson, you remember me in the seventh grade? I was in your biology class. I was that little bad child that you used to have to kind of grab hold of. I'm so glad that you, you, you get the image. Significant otherness in the lives of others. Finally, I say this to you today. In whose life are you already a significant other? I see some hand holding around the building. There's some otherness going on in touch right now. That's good. That's good. Where is God calling you to significant otherness and you have been afraid? I say to you, don't Be afraid. Live into the God-given role. Don't be afraid. Embrace it. It's a lot of fun and a great place of blessing. The word of God for the people of God in this place. Thanks be to God. Hallelujah.